Good morning again, church family. It's so good to be in God's house worshiping together with my brothers and sisters. And I confess to you a weight of, uh, there's always a weight when you stand in this place, but the weight of dealing with the text that we have to deal with on today and against the backdrop of all that's happening around us in the world and in the country. Things seem to be going crazy, right? Stuff's just going wild, but I'm thankful that we can gather here in this sanctuary together as brothers and sisters, a sanctuary away from all the madness. And I always will pray that this place will be a place where people can come for sanctuary from all the madness of this world. Uh, I want to share with you a story. And, and don't, don't tune me out when I start to share the story. Just, just hear me out and, and hear my heart and hear the word of God as we deal with this. A couple weeks ago, a few weeks, probably about a month ago now, we were still in the midst of the quarantine. And there was a Saturday night, it was about 9.30, and I got a call from a friend who has a friend who's a worship leader at another church. They wanted somebody to come and record some saxophone lines for their online worship that was coming up. So I accepted, just because I, I, anytime I get a chance to play my saxophone, I run and go do it. So I, I got in my car about 9.30 p.m. and drove to the, this friend's house. Um, it was uh, probably about, about midnight by the time we got done. When I got in my car to leave, I got in my wife's car, and I noticed she didn't have any gas. So I forgave her. And then I, <laughs> and I drove on. I figured I could probably get home if I needed to, but I stopped for gas if I felt like I could do it and, and do it safely. Well, it was about midnight when we got finished over at the house, and this was uh, not quite in East Knoxville, but uh, off of uh, Rutledge Pike area. And... Uh, I was leaving there, and I drove past a gas station on Rutledge Pike, and it seemed okay, but I saw two police officers there. So I'm not scared of police officers, you know? And, and please hear me as I tell this story. Hear, hear where I'm going with this text as we go. Uh, I saw those two city police officers, and I was, felt like, okay, I can stop here and get some gas, right? And I did, because I knew one of them was going to hit me in the head because the cops were there. They protect me. Uh, I got out and leave, go down Rutless Pike, turn left onto uh, uh, Howie, drive, and at that point, two county police officers got in behind me. And uh, they were riding me pretty close, and I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I got a little bit nervous in that moment. I, I wish I wasn't, but I, I was. Uh, as I got to Howie and Asheville Highway, and made my left, the officers lit me up right when I made that left. And I pulled over right in front of the, uh, the fire station right there, and, you know, my first inclination was to go ahead and reach for my wallet, but I didn't. I just kept my hands on the wheel. Uh, and, and the officer comes up, and he was, he was perfectly polite. He asked me, uh, well, he told me why he stopped me. If you guys could put the picture up there. Uh, the, the taillight on the right is uh, my, my, my wife's car. The, it got hit and run one day, and it's about two, more than two years ago. I just never bothered to pay the deductible to get it fixed, so my bad. <laughs> the one on the left is the, is the one that's not damaged. But he, he told me, he pulled me over because of the busted tail light. He asked for my license and registration. And uh, when, I, when I reached for my, uh, my wallet, I was watching him, and he kind of covered his gun, right? And that's probably standard procedure. But when you're in that moment, it makes you just a little bit nervous, if, you, if, if I could be honest about it. But it was fine. He was, he was polite. Everything was fine. I gave him my stuff. Uh, my address at the time, my physical address is here at the church because I was living in one of the mission houses 
but I told he asked, is this my current address? Because I was pretty far from home. <laughs> and I told him, no, I live in a mission house up the road here. I work at Wallace Memorial Baptist Church. He gave my things back and said, have a nice day. They drove off and, and I went on home. Now, a story like that probably has many of you on either side of this issue feeling some kind of way and maybe making some immediate judgments as to, as to what happened, as to if I sinned, and the truth was I should have got the light fixed a long time ago, or if the officer sinned or, or something else. But we make kind of snap judgments sometimes based on our perspectives on what's, on what's happening. And I think our text today gives us an example of what the Christian response should be even when we see people what we perceive as behaving badly or even as we see people fall into sin. And I want to beg you this morning to consider that we Christians should have a uniquely different response. Amen? Our response should be full of grace and truth like our Jesus. When we have these conversations, we ought to strive to bring light to the conversations, not heat, amen? And y'all could talk to me this morning. That makes me feel like you're listening. That's just how, how I was raised. I'm not gonna ask you to stand as we read our scripture because I'm gonna read little pieces of it as we work through the text. But flipping your Bibles to John chapter eight as we continue our series on the mountaintop. And we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of John chapter 8. And you may have a note in your Bible that says something like the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses here. And I won't get into all of the historical stuff here. You can research that on your own. But I do believe the text belongs in the Bible. I believe the text is consistent with what we see about the character of Jesus and it fits into the greater context of the word of God. But the, word, the early church also seemed to believe that this story actually happened. And uh, I actually just trust the Holy Spirit to kind of hold this Bible together for us. So allow me that privilege as I try to preach these verses on this morning. But again, look at uh, chapter, uh, I mean, verse 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Now, all the people were coming to Jesus because they had seen, they had known that things were happening in his ministry. And things, people are still coming. They want to come to the sanctuary to find answers. They want to come to the people of God to find answers when the world is going haywire. I remember back uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, when when, when, the, uh, when the World Trade Center went down, there was a huge, well-documented jump in church attendance for the weeks after that because people's worldview was rocked. They knew that they needed to find something and look deeper into something. There are people looking to God for answers, and they're looking to the people of God to provide those answers. And this is an enormous responsibility for every one of us who claims the name of Jesus. Red, yellow, black, white, purple, Republican, Democrat, this is a huge responsibility for us to represent our Savior well. And I wonder what people will find when they look at the people of God in these times of personal and public turmoil. And I think we see two illustrations illustrated in our text today of how people respond when someone is behaving badly. There's a worldly one from the religious folks and a gospel one from our King Jesus. Going further in our story in verse 3, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman 
caught in adultery, making her stand in a sinner. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Now this woman here, as you see in the text, she was caught red-handed. It wasn't like there was a, a different way to interpret what happened. She was caught in the very act, in the very act of adultery, and she was guilty, and the punishment was death. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 shows us that if a man commits adultery with a married woman, if he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Deuteronomy 22, 22 says, if a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. You see, we're witnessing the response of the people who knew what the law was. They knew what the law said they should do, but that didn't really matter when it came down to it. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to push forth an agenda that didn't have anything to do with the gospel, and they didn't even try to be subtle. They interrupted Jesus while he was teaching. They busted in. They wanted an audience. Could you imagine? I'm in here preaching and teaching, and somebody's busting in here, dragging a woman. We caught her. We caught her. We caught her, Pastor. Look what you going to do. That's kind of the image of what's, of what's happening right here. They, and then they made the woman stand in the center, no doubt trying to make full display of her sin, make a spectacle about what she did, because what she did was so horrible. And it seems that based on this law, the way we read it a second ago, they were even selective about who they wanted to punish. I, I didn't see them drag the man in there, did you? Huh? And I don't know, maybe the man, maybe he was wealthy or something. Maybe he was the, 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 the leader of the, the furniture store down the street or something like that. So maybe he was important. Maybe he paid a lot of money to the, to the temple then kept, kept, kept the lights on and all that. But they didn't bring the man for some reason. They bought the vulnerable one, the woman here, to try to make their point. Uh, and they didn't ask what, what, what hurts me here is they didn't ask what should be done about this woman from a place of wanting healing or restoration. They asked because they wanted to make Jesus make a bad decision. They wanted to be able to tell Jesus if he said to stone the woman to death that, oh, see, he's not a friend to sinners. I told you he was a fraud. Or if he said to not stone the woman that he was ignoring the law, that he was a lawbreaker. But the thing that stinks is they didn't care about the woman. And sometimes that happens to us as well. We see people do things, behave badly, and don't we sometimes want to prove a point more than we want to see restoration? If you can't say amen, say ouch. Don't we sometimes want to say, show them, Lord. Show them how to act. Fix them, punish them, make an example of them rather than wanting true restoration. They didn't want healing or restoration, but I thank God for Jesus. He knows so much more than us or them. That last part of verse 6, they asked this to trap him in order that they may have evidence to accuse him. Jesus 
stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down and continued writing on the ground. Now, we don't know what or why Jesus was writing on the ground, but many believe, and I do too, that he simply wasn't going to engage them in such a silly debate. He wasn't going to go tit for tat with something that was so foolishness, so foolish. He wasn't going to let the Pharisees drag him into this debate. And they thought they were slick again. If Jesus excused the woman, they would call him a lawbreaker. But if he punished her, they would say, you don't really have that amazing grace that you talked about. They wanted to prove a point. Verse 7 says that they persisted in questioning him. And, and can't you just hear them? Can't you just hear them? You can and hear them in today's context. Don't you have an opinion, Jesus? Aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to stand up for what's right? You must be some kind of coward. You're not going to say something? They tried to bait him into an argument that didn't make any sense. Much the same way as Christians, we're baited into arguments often that don't really do anybody any good. We feel like that we have to pick a side this side or the other side in order to, to make a stand. But I want to submit to you this morning that we need to take a stand for Jesus' righteousness. We need to take a stand for grace and truth. And at the climax of the story, Jesus finally says, he finally says this, the one without sin should be the first to throw the stone at her. My, my. There's so much so much in this statement. Just look for a second. We see that Jesus is affirming now that there must be a punishment for this sin. The woman was caught red-handed in adultery. There must be a punishment. We've been caught red-handed red -handed telling lies. We've been caught red-handed being covet, coveting things. We've been caught red-handed being jealous and backbiting one another. And there must be a punishment for every one of these things. But we also see here that humanity, me, you, we simply don't have the wisdom to dole out this justice consistently or righteously or impartially. We also have a Jesus, though, who sees it all. He knows it all. He knows every single intent he knows everything about every single situation, and he, and he alone can judge righteously. Yet he knew there must be a penalty for this woman's sin. But catch this. It makes me want to shout a little bit when I realize that he could excuse this woman because he knew that in not many days he was going to pay that price for that sin. It ought to make us shout that he, we know that he is going to pay the price for our sins. And not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus knew that as he dealt with this woman and he dealt with these Pharisees. That's why we get to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him. I owe sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. When they heard this, verse 9. They left one by one, starting with the older men. 
Only he was left with the woman in the center. Now, I want you to just picture this. I don't, I don't know if you can see it, but can you kind of see the quiet bomb that must have happened when Jesus said, let he who was without sin, if I'm reading one of the older translations, cast the first stone, like we've heard many times. Can you just imagine it? I have to wonder sometimes, what if somebody would have at least threw the first stone? I believe they all would have went crazy. If somebody just thrown the first one. But man, oh man, I wish Christians would stop being the first ones to throw the stone. Huh? I wish Christians would learn to stop being, to feeling the need to throw the first stone. The devil has bewitched us so much that we think it's our holy responsibility to throw stones. We say terrible things to each other, online and in person. We ridicule people that we disagree with and we think we're doing the Lord's work. That's not what God has called us to. We ought to be different. Listen, you could turn to Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and they're going to put two people who disagree with each other and they're going to fight and fuss. That's what they do. That's what the world does. We don't got to join in that mess. We don't have to cast stones. We ought to be above the fray, but I think maybe, just maybe, the scribes and Pharisees here, they might be more forthcoming about the bad news of the gospel than we sometimes are. At least they dropped their stones and walked away. You know? And they knew Jesus knew. Just like we should know that Jesus knows. And when it was all over, only the woman was still left, still in the center, still with Jesus. And Maybe you're the one who has, has had stones cast at you, maybe even from the people of God, but Jesus is still there with you, full of grace and truth, and he deals with our situations perfectly. Look at verse 10 in our story. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Noah, has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now remember what I said earlier. Don't miss this. Jesus alone can rightly say, neither do I condemn you. Because not many days from this moment, he knew he was going to pay the price for this woman's sin. Not only hers, but all of ours as well. And his response exemplifies what I read in John chapter 1, verse 14. And these two words, grace and truth, have been ringing in my spirit for a long time, especially as the nation and the world continues to descend into chaos. John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at his father's side. He has revealed him. Uh, I think one thing that's a struggle for us is many of us were raised in a culture that 
in our perception, it is, is moralistically uh, similar to what we see in the Bible. That, that is, we kind of think that we were raised in good homes and good families, many of us, and we somehow picked the right religion. So we, we have a certain point of pride about our culture and our heritage. We love our God. We uh, love our church. We love our heritage. And, 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 and sometimes that could be a stumbling block because we're maybe a little bit slow to see our sins and just how desperately we needed a savior. And I'm thankful that the gospel it takes us where we are, but it doesn't leave us where it finds us. Jesus doesn't condemn believers, but he challenges us and inspires us to go and sin no more. When we really grasp this gospel, yes, he forgives all of our sins. He separates us as far as east as from west from our iniquities, but that ought to inspire us to live for him and to serve him with all that we have. He challenges us to go and sin no more. And I'm glad because you know what? We're really bad at keeping and enforcing. Amen? We do so very inconsistently. And, and, and you're probably really good at some things, but I bet you're really bad at some things too. And if you don't know what the things that you're bad at and you're married, ask your spouse. Because they can see it. Ask the person that knows you best because they can tell you that you're bad at some stuff too. And that's our problem. See, Jesus is full of grace and truth to dole out grace and truth uh, with partiality. So when the guy that's on my team sins and messes some stuff up, we say, oh, he didn't mean it like that, but did you see what they said to him? Oh, oh. But when the other guy does the same thing, get him, kill him, lot. We go off. We give out, then we want to get very truthful. Tell the truth. Get him. We dole it out in I mean, we dealt out with, with a lot of partiality, and Jesus' judgment is impeccable when it comes to this. And we ought to strive to be like him. He can be because he knows every single intent, and he can see every single angle. And he can rightly judge and enforce every deed and misdeed, and he actually will do that one day. Now, for me, what that means in a practical sense, when I apply this to myself, because it's my natural inclination to excuse myself and to make light of my sin and make a big deal about somebody else's sin, I try and you should try to be, we should try to be intentional about applying more truth to ourselves and more grace to each other. Do you hear me? More truth to me, because that's not what I'm naturally going to do. That's not going to be my first response. And more grace to the person that offended me or more grace to the person that sinned and show God's grace, that helps us to find that place of balance. Because we're not walking in love when we relentlessly hammer people with truth. We're not walking in love just because you tell the truth and, and, and you hit somebody upside the head with it. It doesn't make you a loving person. Nor are we walking in love when you know that your brothers and sisters are messing up and you say, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Just keep trying right? We need grace and truth to help us to be what Christ has to us to be. And that's why it's so important for us to be gracefully honest about sin as well. And make sure that the sins of our neighbors are covered by the blood. Get them to Jesus. 
Make sure we're getting people to Jesus, not to our expectations of what they should or should not do. And as Christians and as the world becomes increasingly unstable and polarized, we have a unique opportunity to model what this looks like, to love people as Jesus would. We need to firmly grasp just how much Jesus paid for us so we can walk in gospel grace and gospel truth. Flipping your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, I want to share with you a story. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. I heard Dr. McCluskey say a few weeks ago, and, and I heard John quote him, a, a, I think last week, forgiving people, forgive people. Story says, then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this was who was touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Now don't miss this. You have judged correctly. He told him, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered her house. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It wasn't that her sin or his sin was any more or any less. It was a matter of perception. This woman knew how far Jesus had brought her from. Amen? This, 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 this other man thought it wasn't that big a deal. He thought he was pretty good. He went to church, paid his tithes, went to Sunday school, did all the right stuff, so he thought he was in pretty good shape. His sin wasn't a big deal to him, so when he see the woman anointing Jesus' feet with oil and wiping his feet with her hair, he says, ooh, she must have problems. Just like sometimes we come to church, and I know because I used to be the same way, when we see that man, that woman making a big deal about Jesus in worship, getting excited, getting passionate, coming to this altar, crying, wetting the altar with their tears during an altar call, we say, hmm, I wonder what's going on in their life. They must have problems. I know I've said it. If you can't say amen, say ouch. We think that our sin is not that big a deal. But there is a, a hard theological thing that we have to come to. Like, where do we balance this grace and truth? A.W. Pink says it is, in fact, raises the basic question of how can mercy and justice be harmonized? How can grace flow forth except by sliding holiness? 
And I love what he says here. This blessed incident not only anticipated the epistle to the Romans, but it also outlines by vivid symbols the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel not only announces a savior for sinners, but it also explains how God can save them consistently with the requirements of his character. As Romans 1.17 tells us, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. And this is precisely what is set forth here in John 8. Too often, I fear that as believers, we don't act like people who have been forgiven much. We come here week after week and God's amazing grace becomes just kind of a, a common thing. Now, I'm here to tell you, if we can stop and unplug ourselves from the routine a little bit and think of ourselves differently when we come to worship, I think we might have a different worship experience, even, even corporately in this place. When we read our Bibles and we stop seeing ourselves as Joseph and start seeing yourselves as the jealous brothers that sold him into slavery, and then you think about grace, it might hit a little different, Amen. When you stop seeing yourself as Noah and see yourself as the mockers on the side who said, it ain't going to rain, you can start seeing yourself a little bit differently. When you stop seeing yourself as Samuel and start seeing yourself as the Israelites who demanded a king so they could be like the other people, I think you might, this song might hit a little bit different. Your worship might hit a little bit different. When you stop seeing yourself as Nehemiah and realize that you're often more like Sanballat, mocking and frustrating the Lord's work among his people, when we do that, it might change the way we worship. When you stop seeing yourself as Job and see yourselves as the friends who constantly accuse Job of sinning, telling him he had it a common you this this worship might hit a little bit different and in our text today when you stop seeing yourself as Jesus or even the woman caught in adultery and realize that we are often the scribes and the Pharisees who sin we're just ready to judge the person whose sin is more readily apparent than our own and more heinous than ours when we see ourselves in that light when we sing behold the lamb it might hit a little bit differently. When it's time to serve, pray, worship, and give, we might approach it with a little more gratitude when we stop seeing ourselves so much as the hero and the one that needs to be rescued. And I'm almost done. I'm, I'm convinced that just too many people in our church, churches have convinced themselves they're pretty good and that it's people who've picked the right religion rather than being poor beggars who have been rescued from hell and judgment. So you might be wondering, how do, how do I process even what happened to me when I got pulled over a few weeks ago, you know? You can look at it and just look at the facts and depending on, on what sides you're on and all these debates out here, you could, you, could, you could draw some conclusions and you may or may not be right. But because I'm a Christian first, because I believe the gospel. Because I know that the only one perfect is my Jesus. And I know that a charge to keep I have and a God to glorify. I choose to walk in radical grace and radical forgiveness. I choose to look at that situation and say, hey, even a good cop can have a bad day. If that had anything to do with it. I choose to walk in grace and apply the truth to myself. I need to get that taillight fixed. 
I choose to do that. But you know what? It does my heart good, though, to know that my brothers and sisters, as I tell that story, can look at it and say, Herbert, I understand why you felt like you needed to sit there at 10 and 2 and be very careful. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it, but you can at least have the grace to show grace to your brothers and sisters who may see something a little bit differently than you, who may have experienced it a little bit differently than you. Radical truth to myself, radical grace to everybody else. That's the way the Christian should walk. We're not doing the Lord's work when we throw stones. He hasn't called us to throw stones. You know, this, I, I had my daughter whip this up for me last night. I wish I could find more big rocks, but this is the, the biggest rock I could find. And uh, the stoning of an individual in Bible times, it wasn't pretty. Like in your mind, when I was a kid, I just thought about like picking up like snowballs and just kind of throwing them at the person. But it was like they took big rocks and like brutally assaulted people. So I had my daughter just kind of whip this up for me and put some, some things on here that, that I think, you know, most of us would probably agree with. You know, marriage is between a man and a woman. Attend church. End racism. Support law enforcement. John 3.16. End abortion. We, we ran out of room on the stone, but I could put on here, wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Huh? I could put lots of things on here that we throw stones at each other for. But I pray this morning that you'll search your heart and don't leave this place holding stones. Let's go ahead and drop it. Make up in your mind today that as believers, we are going to display radical grace. Radical grace to the community. Radical grace to our neighbors. And radical truth to ourselves. Because Jesus' grace is radical. It's amazing. And I'm a witness. He saved me. He changed me. And it wasn't because Herbert was so good. Herbert was reading his Bible just to impress a girl. And God grabbed a hold of Herbert's heart and changed him. Herbert wasn't always the nice guy that says nice things about and to people that you see before you. And Herbert still ain't all that. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. But Jesus is the best thing that happened to me, and he could be the best thing that's ever happened to you as well. Whether you're a believer or whether you are not sure yet, don't leave this place without making a decision for Christ, either to drop your stones and walk in amazing, abundant grace, or to realize that you need to accept that grace for yourself. And that's the gospel. Jesus says no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, Jesus can save you. In a second, we're going to have a time of invitation. The band is going to sing, and we want to invite you to respond. You can text the side to 865-234-3241, or uh, you can go to the back. We have leaders in the back that are willing to talk to you. Uh, you I'll put my mask on. If you want to come talk to me, we can, we can talk right down here at this altar. But don't let this moment pass by. Jesus is doing something and let it begin in you. Will you pray with me? My God.
how good you've been. Your grace just, it goes past human understanding. You've done something for us that's so amazing that the world can't get it. God, we don't see it all. The world can't possibly see it all. But God, may us, your people, who understand what you've done, be a beacon of light in this sin-sick and dying world. May we use our interactions, our communication, our relationships to point people to you, our Savior, full of grace. May we worship you with all we have, God. And I believe that there, if there's one in this place, God, that, that hasn't accepted this amazing grace, God, I pray that you'll just remove the fear, remove the anxiety, God, and let them come forward, God, to accept your gift of redemption, God. And for the believer in here, God, I pray that you will challenge hearts, change minds. Let us drop our stones and be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our